Bible, if you've been given a Bible, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as you're there, we are going to be reading verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 through 11. Let's read it together. That basically means I'll read it and you can listen. <laughs> I've messed up before and everyone started reading like, uh, do you not know? Uh, okay, I'll just read it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Lord God, believe that this is your word for our church today. Lord, this is your word for Prineville, anyone that would drive by, walk by, Lord, that you would draw them in to hear just your call towards holiness, your call towards purity, your call towards being changed and given a new life. And Lord, anywhere within our congregation where we just need a rebuke from you. We need to be corrected sternly in our practices, God. Lord, the level of our integrity and our character, where we may be dabbling in these sins and many others, Lord, we pray that, Lord, our name, Christ, Ian, Christian, Christians, would really truly reflect our Lord and our Savior. Christ Jesus. And so do that work here in this place. We pray for the deep, gentle, inward conviction of the Holy Spirit to pinpoint specific sin in our life that we may have justified, that we may have covered over. And Lord, that you would expose it to us and cause sorrow in our heart that would produce repentance. Lord, that you might be glorified as the author of our salvation. We pray this all in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are in 1 Corinthians. We've been walking through this book as a church. And uh, we would have been in verses 1 through 11 today. But um, just as I was reading it, I didn't really feel like the message to Prineville today was that Christians shouldn't sue each other. Um, that's, that's not for Prineville today so much. I really felt more... That these, this text that we read, verses 9 through 11, was specifically for, uh, Prineville. And, uh, of course, as we're out here, we're, we're evangelistic in our message. We pray just that we would be outreach oriented today. We pray for those that would walk by, ride their bikes by, walk their dog. And you can pray as we're going through the word and you see someone walking, just, Lord, would you just draw them in to hear your word? Would you draw them in to know that they're a sinner in deep need of salvation and that they would be able to hear this morning 
from uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and as we look at verse 9 this morning, it's very uh, severe as a warning to the Corinthians because we've known already that Corinth, in the midst of Grecian culture, was just polluted and saturated with all kinds of immorality, uh, all kinds of bitterness, all kinds of rivalry, not friendly, all kinds of um, cliques and sectarianism. Uh, and, and, you know, really, as you read Romans chapter one, which we will later on today, you know that that list of perverse sin and things that point to the depravity of man, Paul was in Corinth when he wrote that, and he's just looking out his window, looking around going, goodness gracious, look at the depravity, look at the sin. And we see in Corinth that that sin had been creeping into the church like leaven creeps into a lump of dough. And Paul warned them in chapter 5, don't you know that a little bit of yeast, that a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump and make it sour? So purge out the sin, purge out the leaven that you might be a new lump of dough non-sourdough. And so that's a word that he has for our church today where he says in verse 9, very very severely, very pointedly, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who is this unrighteous individual? The unrighteous individual would be a non-believer. Someone who hasn't rested and trusted and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their master, essentially saying, God, you're right. You're right. Whatever you say, I'm doing it. You're my Lord. But also as their savior, recognizing they need to be saved from something, saved from sin and saved from death. That's a consequence from sin. Who is the unrighteous individual? The unrighteous individual is a non-believer. They haven't received redemption in Christ Jesus. They haven't received righteousness or rightness that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. This unrighteous person that Paul speaks of is someone who is a doer of wrong. A doer of wrong. Whether they've heard about Jesus and they've heard about God and that had just confirmed what they knew deep down in their heart anyways, whether they've heard about God or whether they haven't heard about God, they would be doers of wrong. Those that had heard about God, heard about sin, heard about the result of sin, which is eternal death in hell. Those that have heard about the cross of Christ, but have suppressed that truth in their heart and continue to do what they want to do. Yeah, I know the Bible says this, and I've heard that preacher guy, and I've heard a lot of preachers, and you know what, I just, whatever, some of it's okay, but I just want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. I'm essentially my own God. And that might be you here today. You would be, you know, within that category of a doer of wrong, of an unbeliever. You would be brought into that category of the unrighteous. And Paul says, don't you know, like he's Canadian or something, don't you know? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous 
will not inherit a kingdom that is righteous. This kingdom that we speak of was preached by Jesus Himself as He walked the earth, telling people to repent and believe in the good news, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Another version or translation says, repent and obey the good news. You're hearing good news that there's freedom from sin and salvation from sin and that you can be reconciled and brought back into relationship with a good God. And as you hear that, that message goes out. And with that message is hear it and obey it. Hear it and believe it. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. This kingdom is such a glorious kingdom. It's one that the world has never seen before. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of truth. A kingdom of love. A kingdom of purity. And of joy. It's a kingdom that we see a little bit now. We see it a little bit presently. It's a kingdom that's already, but not yet. It's still future, and one day we'll see it in His fullness when Christ comes back in His glory and in His power, and He will triumph over wickedness, and He will set up His kingdom in a throne in Israel where the nations will come and worship at His feet and spend time with Him and enjoy relationship with Him. We enjoy that a little bit now in a beautiful way. It's already, but it's not yet. We still can't wait for it to just fully come. Now we know in part, but then we will know just as we're known. It's exciting to think about. It's exciting to read about. Jesus preached about it and said it's coming. It's starting now in me being here. But then you can go on and you can read the book of Revelation in the latter chapters from about chapter 19 on. And you can read of Him coming in glory and setting His feet on the Mount of Olives in Israel and splitting that mountain in half so that a river comes out of it and brings life to a deserted area in Judah. That life is just a symbol of the life that He's bringing and it is glorious. It's exciting to read about. All of this joy, all of this peace that the world, that humanity longs for. But you need to know if you are unright, if you are unright, if you are unbelieving, if you are disobedient to this book right here, you have no part in that kingdom. You will not inherit that kingdom. You see, the kingdom is Jesus' kingdom. And He in His grace and His ability and desire to share His given in grace and in gift that kingdom to anyone who would believe upon Him. But if you're an individual that says, No, no, I refuse to hear. I suppress the truth in my heart. Instead of you being my God, Jesus Christ, I'm my own God and I'm doing it my way then you need to know today that that kingdom is not for you. You will not inherit it. Later on in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, Paul says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. 
well, that's kind of unfair. I mean, yeah, right now I'm just doing what I want to do. But let's say that I'm wrong and I just end up changing my mind, you know, when I'm there and I'm standing before God. No, we have this life. And then comes death and then comes judgment. There's no afterthought party like, all right, I was wrong. Count me in. You have this life and it's a short one. And in this life, you can receive a new heart that is no longer corrupt with sin, that you might go to a kingdom that is not corrupt with sin. Corruption cannot inherit incorruption. The wicked will have no share in God's future kingdom because they are not related to Christ, the true heir. Those who are related get to share in that inheritance. But those who say, no thanks, you're not related. You don't get that inheritance. There was a gap that existed between the Corinthians and their future position in the kingdom and where they were at in their present practice. And I wonder how much in the American church today that gap remains true here in Prineville in your life is there a big gap that exists between a future position in the kingdom and what you are presently practicing here and now are you living for the things of the Lord or are you living for the things of the flesh the here the now the temporal the what just feels good to fly by the seat of your pants and just do whatever this body wants, it's going to get. Well, Galatians chapter 5 says that all of those works of the flesh, they're very evident. And they are things like adultery and fornication and uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry and sorcery and hatred, contentions, jealousies, Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions and dissensions and heresies and envy and murders and drunkenness, revelries and the like. And Paul says in Galatians, I told you in the past and I'm telling you now that whoever practice that, practices that list of fleshly things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you notice that the list got a little bigger in Galatians than what it was in what we'd read in 1 Corinthians? I mean, in 1 Corinthians, you might have been like, whew, I'm not a homosexual and I've never robbed a bank. I'm good to go. But then you read Galatians and it's like, man, there's, there's other things. Like sometimes I kind of am lewd. Sometimes my speech is kind of filthy. Sometimes I'm hateful and I'm always in fights. And I'm jealous of her or him. And man, I've got outbursts of wrath. I'm pretty selfish. I'm kind of covetous and I envy other people's status. Man, there's a lot there that just shows we are sinners, aren't we? We're in need of a Savior. And the Phillips paraphrase of this first verse that we've looked at in verse 9 says, Have you forgotten... That the kingdom of God will not belong to the wicked? 
I mean, that's something that we kind of have known in our heart. We're born with just this innate knowledge of who God is, the book of Romans tells us. His invisible attributes are clearly seen by the, even the things that He created. That in our heart, we know we've been created. We've been created to be worshipers of something. And as the Holy Spirit beckons us and calls us, we know in our heart that wickedness is bad. <laughs> That's not a good thing. And have you forgotten that wickedness will not inherit God's kingdom? As if that's not strong enough, have you forgotten? That's pretty strong, right? Here's something stronger in verse 9. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Don't be led astray. And you know what? There's a lot of pastors out there that'll deceive you and lead you astray. They are wolves among the sheep. Among us, probably in our community, in our nation, on TV, on the radio, they'll lead us astray. That these things, they're okay. They're tolerable. They should be allowed. Just do whatever you want. Those things are allowed and you're being deceived. And not only are you deceived by external forces, even family members that are condoning behaviors that we read here, but you deceive yourself. There's this self-deception going on. And Paul would say, don't let anybody tell you anything different. Not even yourself. And he goes into this grim catalog of sin. Sin that at its heart could be defined as self-gratification in so many different forms. you got to remember what Corinth was. You know, Corinth was Grecian. And it was a, a city that was um, very near the sea. If you remember, it was a city on an isthmus. Hard to spell, harder to say <laughs> in public especially. Isthmus. Isthmus. And it was on this four-mile isthmus between two different large seas so that anyone shipping goods over in this sea, they'd come to Corinth and they'd rest and they'd live it up and they'd get sloshed and they'd get their boat and they'd put it on rollers and they'd go across this four-mile isthmus into this other great sea. And so when you've got that much of a population coming through, you get all kinds of sinful uh, behavior going on, things that we've read of here. Corinth, even today in, in some of our famous music, it's a byword for immorality. A Corinthian girl, have you ever heard that phrase? Corinthian girl, that means a prostitute or a harlot. Corinth was a byword for immorality and for sin. And so you get into this list of sins that, that were obvious in Corinth. There were two different major pagan temples there. There was a, a pagan temple to Aphrodite, a goddess of sex, where every night thousands of temple prostitutes would, would worship Aphrodite. And, and, and uh, through immorality, and that temple sat on top of a 2,000-foot mountain over the city of Corinth. Also in Corinth was worshipped to the god called Apollos. 
And Apollos worship was basically that that temple was where the headquarters of homosexuality took place. So you just knew whenever someone spoke of Corinth, it was just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Similar to the Las Vegas of our day. But he says, don't be deceived and don't deceive yourself. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, dot, dot, dot. He starts out with this sin called fornication. We looked at it in depth last week as uh, we addressed chapter 5, where this horrible sin, an unsavory sin was taking place, where a man had his father's wife, Paul says. And the church in Corinth was puffed up. Aren't we a great church that we're letting this man who's sleeping with his stepmom or maybe his mom, no one really knows, it's probably his stepmom, he's sleeping with her and we're just allowing him to keep coming to the church and it's just great, we're open-armed. And Paul says, what are you doing? What are you doing? You don't recognize that as sin? And we get into the the process of disciplining someone who's practicing fornication or sexual immorality. You might remember that the Greek word for sexual immorality is the word pornea. It's where we get our word porn, pornography. It's pornos in the Greek in this specific text. And he says, neither pornos shall inherit the kingdom of God sexually immoral people. And we looked at last week how sex is exalted in our culture. It is magnified. It's portrayed as desirable. It's mainstream. We see it regularly on the TVs in our house where uh, just the carnality of immorality on any sitcom you watch, it's just there's an agenda You would watch a sitcom where a well-known comedian comes home late at night, pushes his garage door button in his vehicle. The garage door comes up and his daughter, who's unmarried, is laying on a garage couch with her boyfriend, caught in the act. And immediately, oh, that's okay, the dad says. And then he goes into his house and has a conversation with his wife. And they come to the conclusion, it's okay. It's healthy at their age. This is what happens among the youth. Just let it happen. Teach him safety behind it. But that is not a biblical worldview concerning sexuality. The book of Hebrews says that the marriage bed is honorable above all. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Sex within the covenant of marriage, that's how God created it. And it is very honorable. And it's a representation of Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. But someone who would take sex outside of the marriage covenant would be then partaking in what's called fornication. And fornicators and idolaters, adulterers, excuse me, God will judge. You know, soil is a beautiful thing, isn't it? You're outside, you're in your garden. It's just beautiful, good soil, and you're planting flowers. Within the right context, soil is gorgeous. 
But if I were to take handfuls of soil and take them into, you know, your living room with your brand new white carpet and white furniture and just, yay, soil! (laughs) It's no longer soil. It's no longer beautiful. It's become dirt. And that's what we have done with something that's been beautiful and it was created to be beautiful. We've made it dirty. And we're warned, don't you know, don't you remember that those who are fornicators having sex of any kind outside of marriage will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor idolaters. Idolatry kind of is encompassed within the first and second commandment in the law of Moses. Idols had this temptation to Make worshiping God easier. Oh, you know, it's just hard to worship someone we don't see. So we're going to make something that'll just prompt us to worship and make it easier. But what happens so quickly is it gets easier and easier and easier to worship the object. Even objects, Isaiah says, it's so stupid that you go out in the woods and you cut down a tree and you bring this log over and you carve it and you fashion it and you give it eyes and ears and a mouth head and shoulders, knees and toes, and you set them up and then you expect that thing to move and to act on your behalf. It says it's so stupid. It falls over. You set it up. Now you do something for me. And the prophets would say, man, eyes they have, but they don't see. Ears they have, but they do not hear. It's a stupid thing to worship an idol. Pretty soon you stop worshiping the God the object represents and you begin to actually worship the symbol because it's easier to worship the symbol than the reality that the symbol represents. The book of Ephesians says, you know this, no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, we read it last week, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. You know, at the heart of any sin you name, ultimately, is idolatry. That's why in Ephesians, Paul says, and any covetous man who is an idolater... Idolatry is its worship of anything rather than our maker, our creator. It says, nor adulterers, idolaters, adulterers, those who destroy the God-ordained, God-created relationship between a husband and a wife. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have many people that shrug at the idea of adultery. That it's not, you know, it's just something to be weaked at. You know, you even look at the, the gospel accounts where Jesus preaches on adultery. And he says that if anyone divorces his wife and marries another, he's committed adultery. You know, there's, there's a lot to go into there, but ultimately, you know, if anyone divorces his wife 
apart from sexual immorality. He makes her to be an adulterer. And we just weaken that. And we just get divorced like crazy. And we just remarry. And we forget that anyone who's named an adulterer will not inherit the kingdom of God. Even in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, while Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, you've heard it said, clear back in the law of Moses, you guys know it, do not commit adultery. And people are like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, now hold on a second. I want to tell you something that I'm really looking at. I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. It was there on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus shows the Jews that God looks beyond their outward appearance of religiosity and he looks right into their heart. He says, you know what? If you're angry with your brother, you hate him, you've murdered him in your heart. It's just as bad before our holy, righteous God. You may have never crept into your brother's house and stole his wife away, but you've done it in your heart. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor homosexuals. The idea here in the Greek is literally male prostitutes. And it's just good, you know, homosexual offenders. That's This verse, it's nice because it's, in a, it's an irrelevant topic for us today in the 21st century. We've all come to know, we're enlightened, right? That this is just an alternative lifestyle. And we can embrace these people, these individuals. It's just a result of our environment and from chromosomal changes. You're like, wait, is he serious? No, we know what the scripture says. That in humility and in love, we know that homosexuality is against nature. It's against God's sovereign design for marriage, for sexuality. I want to dig into uh, some of my notes here on my phone and, and quote from a Wikipedia article where it says a number of different classification schemes have been used to describe sexual orientation since the mid-19th century. And scholars have often defined the term sexual orientation in divergent ways. Indeed, several studies have found that much of the research about sexual orientation has failed to define the term at all, making it difficult to reconcile the results of different studies. So there's all these different studies on sexual orientation, and it's like, well, who's right? Who's right? It says, however, most definitions include a psychological component, such as the direction of an individual's erotic desire and or a behavioral component, which focuses on the sex of the individual's sexual partners. Some prefer to simply follow an individual's self-definition or identity. And so what you have from Wikipedia is an anything-goes mentality on sexuality as a whole. And that's where we've come as a nation. That's where the church in America has even come. And we want to get away from the authority of Wikipedia 
And we want to come to the authority of the Word of God this morning. The Word of God that was breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Where holy men of God wrote as they were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit. They wrote down God's revelation of Himself and His standards and His holiness and His desire. And we can stand in the authority of the Scriptures that are inerrant and that are perfect. And you can trace them back to the earliest manuscripts and know that you have nothing to worry about. That what we have here is the authority of God telling us that fornicators or idol worshipers or adulterers or homosexuals, that they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Albert Muller said, Corrupted by sin, the conscience arbitrarily excuses and condemns us with the continual cycle of rationalization and self-deception. Even though the law of God is written in the structure of the universe, we have corrupted that knowledge and we no longer see what was so evident in Eden. We see that in the book of Romans chapter 1, and we're going to get there in a second. In Romans chapter 1, we see that we've exchanged the truth for a lie, and we begin to worship the created thing rather than the Creator who's blessed forever. Amen. And that's what we've done with our sexuality and any other sin. We've forgotten and disregarded what was evident in God's design in Eden. As you look at the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, Genesis 18.20, homosexuality is called a sin that is very grave. Also in Genesis, in the Sodom and Gomorrah account, sodomy, which is comes from Sodom and Gomorrah, is called wickedness. Such wickedness. In Genesis 19.24, you see that the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. In the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah is given, and it says that the Lord condemned these people to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. He delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And this isn't only homosexuality. This is all kinds of sin. The sin that we read of today, the depravity, it's filthy conduct. It's wicked. It's unrighteousness that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Leviticus calls uh, homosexuality an abomination. A few different times, speaking of its being loathsome and disgusting. And you know what? I'm not picking on homosexual, homosexuals today. We just said that any sex outside of marriage, it's like taking soil out of the garden and throwing it in your beautiful house. It's disgusting. It's dirty. It's wrong. It's loathsome. In the book of Romans... You can go ahead and flip over there. Chapter 1, verse 21. 
Romans 1.21, it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so there's a list of sins that's going to be coming up. We're going to read, and it's similar to what we've read. But we need to know that these sins that are practiced, and we're not talking of stumbling and bumbling and, you know, isolated sin. We're talking about practicing these sins, saying, I'm doing them, God. No matter what you say, I'm a fornicator. I'm an adulterer. I'm an idolater. I don't care what you say, God. It's all things that are futile in thinking and stem from foolish hearts being darkened, verse 21 says. In verse 22, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of uh, the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and forfeited animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. And we want to note some of these uh, adjectives here. We're looking at futile thinking, foolish hearts, fools, verse 22. Corruptible, uncleanness, verse 24. In the lusts of their hearts, they dishonored their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. So we see things that, such as homosexuality in this case, that it is unnatural, that it is shameful. In verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to, listening, a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. So just when you thought you were off the hook, man, we've read through like 20 lists now, and I'm good to go. Hey, then you realize, oh shoot, I've invented evil things, all right? It goes on to say, disobedient to parents, backbiters, haters of God, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That is a list of depravity that Paul wrote while looking out his window in Corinth. All right? It's among people that know that if I'm doing these things, I'm deserving of death. And you're not only doing them, but you're approving of others who practice them as well. It's a striking confrontation with the need for a changed life in Christ Jesus. 
If you profess to be in Christ Jesus, if you press to love God, yet you continue in persistent, practicing, non-repentant sin, do not be deceived. Don't you remember? Don't you know that the unright, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 10 says, if you're clear back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, We see that thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just amazed like how much theft goes on. Even in Prineville, I went to be with a brother in a uh, in a court hearing, and it was the circuit court. And so, you know, we're sitting there waiting our turn, and just people got up one after another, after another, after another for stealing. Stealing from Rite Aid, stealing from Bymart, stealing from Rite Aid, stealing from Bymart. Hey, just so you know, they're watching you. I mean, one gal, I'm like, totally like looked like a respectable figure in our community, got caught shoplifting chapstick. And when she was confronted by the judge, she just laughed and blamed it on Rite Aid. Well, if they wouldn't have, uh, you know, it's like, you stole it. You're a thief. And man, there's so many ways that we, we, we could be thieves. You're cheating on our taxes. Hiding this or that from Uncle Sam. Dishonest gain. Stealing music and videos offline. Those that are covetous or greedy. Lusting, and essentially lusting for things that are not theirs. Drunkards. Those that practice drunkenness. Revilers. That's an individual who subjects people to verbal abuse. They use abusive language towards others. Extortioners, people that are swindlers and blackmail people, putting pressure on people, manipulating. Those that practice that, you just need to know, if you're looking into a mirror right now, see the big zit on your face and realize by God today, I am an extortioner. Look at what I'm doing. I will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's encouragement for you today. There's encouragement for everybody who would read this list because we get to verse 11 where it says, such were some of you. We can look out here and it's a beautiful thing to look out and to know, man, there's people that in their past, they were fornicators, practicing it rapidly before the love of God came into their life. There's people in, man, adulterers, multiple marriages going on. Such were some of you. Thieves, tax evaders, fraudulent individuals. Some of you once were like that. You were like that list here. But God, but God, but you were washed. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful language here. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. And but you were justified. The book of Titus tells us that we were washed in the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means when you recognize that you're a sinner 
and you've done wrong. You've wronged God. And some of you today, you're confronted with that maybe for the first time. Just a strong confrontation. You have sinned and fallen short of God's good and right standards. It is, it's a good thing to know that today. And as you hear that, you also hear a beautiful message today that you can be washed. You can be washed clean right here where you're at as if you've never even sinned before. Right where you're at in your chair today, God can do a work in your heart where he just rub-a-dub-dub, scrubs you clean. And he sees you as if you had never sinned before. And Titus says, you get washed when you are born again. When you are regenerated. When you are made new. And Jesus says in John chapter 3, when does that made new happen? It happens when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you would be made new. You would be washed. You would be, did you see the word here, justified? It's a legal term where a judge is slamming down his gavel and he says, innocent. And right now, where you're sitting, if you would believe on what Jesus has done and that he died on the cross after living a perfect life, he spilt his blood, he shed his blood that your sins might be forgiven and cleaned and washed away. In the scriptures, it says we're washed in the blood of Jesus. He cleanses our hearts. And not only does he cleanse our heart, he makes our hearts new. He makes our hearts completely clean. And then he does a process that we read of here in 1 Corinthians. It's called, he sanctifies us. Sanctify means that he sets you apart. Here's what you were, man. You were once a fornicator. You were a homosexual practicing that lifestyle. You were a thief. You were a drunk. And the world would tell you, you're going to be a drunk till the day you die. It's just what you are. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says here and in countless, countless other places in the New Testament, man, you can be washed. You can be a new creation. You can be set free and be free indeed. I don't have time to read it today, but there's an article on Christianity Today that shares how Jesus gently and lovingly called a leftist lesbian professor who hated Christians to become a Christian. She's a woman who says the name Jesus caught in her throat like an elephant tusk. Oh, oh, oh. She hated Christians. And she wrote a book, just and books and articles. In one of her books, she just wrote just hating and attacking Christians and Jesus and the Bible. And her book got such such attention that on her desk she kept two baskets, one for hate mail and one for uh, compliments. And she got a letter from a pastor that he wasn't hateful. He just encouraged and, and wanted to know, where are you getting your sources? Where are you getting your truth? I just want to know. And she just took that paper and put it in the hate mail. And she went home that night. And she got thinking, that wasn't hateful. He just wanted to know 
where I'm getting what I think is truth. And she went back that night, took it out and put it in the other box. She then set up an interview with that pastor just to get his perspective on subjects of of, uh, homosexuality. And as they met, this pastor was very loving with his wife. They just invited her over for dinner, just asked her questions and just loving. And the more that they spoke with this woman, they became friends and they encouraged. And this woman, hostile against Christianity, started going to this pastor's church totally not looking like anybody else in the church. And the Holy Spirit began to convict her from the scriptures. She said she read the Bible front and back multiple times in a year from multiple different translations. And she was confronted with the truth that God is God. God is true. God is righteous. And it was there as she sat in church, she responded to the good news that Jesus Christ washes us from our sin. And it was there that she was born again, given a new heart, went home, called things off with her lesbian uh, compadre, and began a new lifestyle in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. No matter which sin tends to strike at your heart more that we've read today, Jesus Christ can cleanse you and wash you and set you apart, sanctify you from that life. It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. And if anyone would believe and just rest and trust in that good news, you'll be saved from sin. You'll be saved from death. And as our text here shows us, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We're going to have the worship team come back up. And we're going to close with communion. And during communion, what this is, Jesus tells us, it's remembering the the broken body of the Lord Jesus. As you take the cracker, you remember that Jesus was slaughtered for your sin. He was wounded for your sin, the sin that you are aware of today. He was wounded that you might not be. He bore your sin on his shoulders at the cross. And today you could come forward and take this cracker that means so much and you can eat it and let it go in you and you can say in faith, Lord Jesus, I believe in my innermost man and my innermost woman that you died to set me free from these sins. And then you can grab the little cup, it's just grape juice, and you can partake. And you can receive forgiveness of sins today as you remember the blood of Jesus that was shed, that was poured out, that was splashed upon a Jerusalem floor so that your blood might not be spilled. So that you might not have blood required for your sin. And you can come forward today as we close in this song. Just take the cup and take the bread. Take it back to your seat and just thank Jesus for what he's done. Thank Jesus for washing you today. Thank Jesus for cleansing you. Thank Jesus for making you right as a just judge would slam down his gavel in heaven and say, this individual is innocent. This individual is righteous. Thank Jesus today. Remembering the cross. 
thank Jesus for sanctification. That He sets the sinner apart from those past sins. If you're not a Christian today, if you're just suppressing this message and holding it off at arm's length, and no, no, stupidity, this is ridiculous. Oh, just be quiet. I would just encourage you, this table isn't for you today. If you're going to reject God, if you're going to remain in a state of being wicked, if you're going to remain in a state of being unrighteous, the kingdom of God is not yours. But the beautiful thing is, right now, you can humble yourself before God. You can turn from your sin and say, God, you are God and you are right. And I receive today, just by believing on you, like a little kid believes, I believe in you for righteousness. And if you would just call upon the Lord like that, this table is for you today. And you can partake. Let's come in this last song. We'll partake together.
just knew that the Lord Jesus was speaking to you. You sensed his hand heavy upon your heart, just showing you who you were. And just today you've responded to him and humbled yourself before him and received forgiveness as you turn from your sin. If that's you this morning, and we just want to encourage you to continue to continue in Jesus, to continue in the things of the Lord, to be plugged into this church and to be discipled. As we're studying in the book of Hebrews, just yeah, it says you're part of the house of Christ if you continue in Him. Man, we just invite you today to continue with us in being disciples of Jesus and to be learners of Jesus. I encourage you to come and speak to us. If you just sense, man, the Lord was speaking to me today. And we want to get you plugged into this church that you can just go strong in your walk with the Lord and being a follower of Jesus. Maybe this morning there were just sins that were mentioned and just the Lord just pinpointed you and you just know you need just people to surround you and encourage you and to help you just to be strong and walking in, in holiness and in rightness. Just come forward. It's okay. We're, we're just all a bunch of beggars who know where the bread is. Just come forward to us and we would love to just help you in this journey with Jesus to kill sin and to execute sin and to put it to death so that you might walk with the Lord rightly. Come on up and we'd love to meet you and love to help instruct you in this. We're going to move on towards uh, fellowshipping and eating together. And uh, it'll be ready in just a, a few minutes. Just encourage you to stick around and just be part of what God's doing here. Just being with each other and getting to know each other. As you see a person or a family sitting by themselves, be the one that goes and just initiates friendship. And uh, you're just all welcome to stick around with us today. We're asking just for uh, $2 a plate or a dollar per child. If you don't have that or just not doable today, totally okay. Be our guest. Um, just trying to cover some of the costs for the food today. And um, God bless you guys. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.